Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I just had this incredibly strong squeeze of my leg, like somebody had just put their hand above my knee. And as I looked up into the mirror, I could see um, a figure standing next to me. And I looked directly next to myself and there was nobody there. Welcome to The Ghost Files. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Where Spirits Dwell and Love Never Dies. For decades, I've been listening to ordinary people tell me about their extraordinary experiences with the spirit world. Now, I'm going to share these moments with you, bringing you all new interviews every week with people who have a spooky story to tell. From seeing an apparition, to receiving signs from beyond, and messages from late loved ones, plus so much more. What can an encounter with the dead teach us about living? Find out each week on The Ghost Files. Today, my guest is Maggie, a dental assistant who lives in Tasmania, but Maggie's story is set on the other side of the country, in Broome, Western Australia, where in 1999, Maggie bought and moved into a beautiful home built in 1919 by a master pearler called Captain Goldie. Maggie and her family lived there for 18 years, but as she's about to tell us, from the moment they moved in, she knew they weren't alone in the lovely old home. Welcome to the Ghost Files, Maggie. Thank you for having me, Karina. It's it's great to have you on. Now, you've had a lifetime of extraordinary encounters, but today we're going to focus on the events that unfolded in your historic home in Broome. The first experience that sets the scene for what was to follow happened in December of the year 2000 in the middle of a cyclone. Yes, <laughs> Could you please tell us about that night? Sure. Um, What happened was that um, in the April of 2000, we actually had a big cyclone come through called um, Rosita and came probably the closest and did the most damage ever really in Broome. And in that time, I was actually pregnant with our first child and it was quite a frightening experience. In fact, it was quite terrifying. Anyhow, um, lo and behold, come December of that year, we had another um, big cyclone bearing down on us and by that stage, I'd actually had my son and I was, um, you know, incredibly nervous. Um, it sort of changes the attitude once you're a parent as to, um, you know, how you feel about your own safety. Yes. And especially with your child. So I was sitting up in the lounge room. Um, we just shut the house down, which takes quite a bit of time um, to shut all the shutters down. And they're all equipped up there for that sort of thing. And I had my son sitting in the corner of the couch and I was sitting there and I was really quite scared because it was going to be actually a Category 5 cyclone, which was actually bigger than Rosita. Okay. Anyhow, so I'm sitting there looking at um, my child and thinking, dear God, please let it go past us and, and not... Um, and not hit. And um, 
I just had this incredibly strong squeeze of my leg, like somebody had just put their hand above my knee and um, and squeezed it really hard in a comforting way. Right. And I was quite stunned because I sort of looked up and looked at my husband and said, somebody's just squeezed my leg. And he was he just looked at me. He didn't really understand or had had any sort of experiences. And it was... I just felt this moment of comfort and I could still feel the hand on my leg for quite a while afterwards. It was quite an incredible thing. And as it turned out, um, the cyclone did go past um, and cross the coast about 100 k's past um, Broome. So, yeah, that was the first thing that I can really remember. Okay. So to speak. It's quite amazing that for, you know, 30 minutes or more you could still feel that reassuring yes. touch. Yes, that's yes. quite amazing. Yeah. And so, and, um, and so your instinct told you, Maggie, that this was a reassuring presence. There was nothing frightening about it. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is move forward in time to 2003 and a very difficult night with you and your sick toddler. So tell yes. us about this night. Well, um, Daniel, I think, had uh, tonsillitis at the time and a very high temperature and he was very, very restless and I'd moved out into the lounge room so as not to disturb um, my husband and he was a holy terror for getting um, medication into, you know, to try and bring that um, temp down. So he just wouldn't take it and if you tried to hide it in a drink or anything, he knew. Anyhow, so it was a really quite a, a, a difficult night and I was very worried about him because he had a very high fever. Anyhow, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I had the TV on, but it was there was no sound and I, was, I just managed to get some medication into him. I think he'd surrendered and realised just how awful he felt. And so I was very relieved. He settled back down and went to sleep. So I jumped up and um, walked into the bathroom, which was directly off the lounge room. The construction of these beautiful old homes were quite um, unique. Uh, living areas were inside um, and all the bathrooms or veranda areas, the house was completely surrounded. So I stepped into the um, bathroom and to go to the toilet, sat down on the toilet and in this particular bathroom, the toilet faced a great big mirror on the wall. And as I looked up into the mirror, I could see um, a figure standing next to me and it was a woman in a uniform. Wow. And I looked directly next to my, myself and there was nobody there. But when I looked back in the mirror, she was still standing there and she had a hand sort of crossed in front of her and she was looking directly at me. Well, I can tell you I scooted out of that bathroom so far. <laughs> my goodness. I, I didn't even pull up my jammy pants. So I shot straight <laughs> out of there. And, um, and Maggie, tell me a bit more about what she looked like, what she was wearing, what um, sort of expression she had, what feeling you got from her, all of those details about the apparition yes, in the mirror. Look, she was wearing a uniform. I know. I noticed that much, and it was quite clearly um, a formal uniform. Um, and I think she had a cap on. Uh, she she looked somewhat solid in the mirror, but I would have said there was a little bit of, I suppose, a translucency to her. Um, but what was extraordinary was that when I looked, she wasn't there at all um, next to me. But when I looked back in the mirror, she was still there. Um, and wow. yes, yeah, she she looked quite relaxed. Um, she certainly didn't have a stern look on her face, but she was looking directly at me. She wasn't staring sort of off into the mirror. She was actually looking at me directly. And I think that's what I think threw me out the most. Yes. 
is it wasn't just a, I suppose, just a, a, an apparition that was just there. She was there and she was looking at me. And, um, and at the time I didn't realise, um, but a few months later, um, I recognised, I, I can't remember where I saw it, um, but I saw a picture of the formal military uniform of the World War One nurses and okay. recognised it as to that's what she was um, wearing. And I, I don't think she intended to frighten me. I, I feel like she was there as a comfort sort of at the time, but it was so startling that it did frighten me. Yes, I can imagine that it did because you've got this huge mirror in your bathroom. You just sit on the loo and then suddenly you look into the mirror and there is a person staring at you there. Yes, yes. <laughs> but she's um, not in in real, she's not by your side, but yet she's in the mirror. It's extraordinary, yeah, Maggie. It is extraordinary, <laughs> but apparently that I've, I've have heard that that is something that can happen is that you'll see them in mirrors rather. You'll see yes. a presence or something in mirrors rather than, you know, they're beside you or in front of you or. And so once Mm. you got over the shock, did you feel that this was the same presence that had comforted you on the couch? Yes. Okay. Okay. I did. And I'd I'd felt sort of a presence of somebody around and and somebody very reassuring in the house for years, but hadn't really put my finger on who it was or what it was, but there were always sort of noises and footsteps and just a feeling of not being alone. So, Mm. yeah, I I made the connection pretty quickly that it was her. And indeed, you went on to find out the actual identity of your lady in the mirror, didn't you, Maggie? I did, thanks to a visit um, from a a gentleman that was connected to the family. Um, He called into the house. And Amazing. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us about that. What did you find well, out? Um, yeah, his name was Herbie Hempful, and he was incredibly um, informative about it. it. He's he was the grandson of the of this woman and her husband, and he was a master pearler called Captain Goldie. He served in the First World War um, and was injured, and I believe he was repatriated to. Britain for um, recovery, and this is where he met um, his wife-to-be. She actually nursed him from his injuries, and he was actually a Jewish man, and she was um, an English woman and, I believe, a, a Protestant English woman, and they fell in love and and got married, and as a result of that, his Jewish family actually disowned him, which was um, which must have been incredibly difficult for the both of them. Yes. But um, he brought her back to Australia and they moved straight up to Broome where this beautiful big house was built. They built um, the ha- home, did they? Your home yeah, that well, you lived Goldie, in? Yeah, Goldie, yeah. Goldie did, yeah. yeah. Captain Goldie. Captain Goldie. So, yeah. And, and what was um, his look, wife's name? Sorry, Maggie. I, I'm not sure. I okay. think it was Doris, okay. but I'm not 100% sure on that. But um, they lived there for... For I think um, till about the late 1940s, okay. they had a family, and I do believe that one of their children did die as a very young infant. Mm. And when Herbie explained that to me, I remember thinking at the time that's why she she was there, that's why she was around, um, and she was were, concerned. Yeah, and understood. You know mm. the fear that you have, I guess, for your child when it's unwell. And, yeah, she was there reassuring. And she was a nurse? Yes, she Mm. was. She was a nurse. 
And um, I think that was the connection as well. And a mother who'd raised her family in the house and a mother who had lost a child. So there was a deep emotional connection between you both. I think so. And I really wish there was so much going on. We were running our dental practice up one end and living up the other end of the house. What young children. I wish I'd actually been able to, I guess, maybe notice more, so to speak, but it was such a busy time. Yes. I'm so grateful for what um, I did experience in the house, but um, I'm sure there was more going on that, you know, I didn't see. Yes, and um, I know that, you know, it proved to be in time quite a difficult phase in your life. You know, the marriage eventually ended, you returned in due course to Tasmania where you were born and you started fresh. Looking back, was the presence of Captain Goldie's wife like a friend for you during these stressful years? Well, I think so. I think there were times when um, I'm sure that she did actually intervene um, and I do have a memory of of just a situation where my husband wanted to open up a bottle of wine. Um, The corkscrew was always kept in the same spot, which was in the kitchen drawer in with the teaspoons. And he wasn't in an aggressive mood or anything like that. But it was from my point of view, I was just thinking, oh, no, not another bottle. Mm. And he couldn't find the corkscrew. He looked everywhere. Um, and in the end, he said, I'll open it out on the, the veranda out the back, walked out the back with him. Um, and he opened it up with a teaspoon and pushed the, the cork into the bottle. And we both walked straight back in to the kitchen and there was the corkscrew sitting <laughs> in the middle of the bench right in front of us wow. and he looked at me, I looked at him and there was no way that either one of us could have missed it and we were beside each other, you know, as we walked back in. But what was extraordinary was that uh, when I was telling my friend about it a couple of days later and I said to her, I actually cleaned out the cut-through drawer after it because it was so... Um, you know, when you pull it all apart, I realised it needed a good clean yes. and I was telling her about it. And she said, when I said and pointed to the spot on the kitchen bench, I said it was right there where, um, and she had a, a stubby of cider sitting there on the bench and uh, and this, we were nowhere near it and this cider stubby just tipped straight over, ran straight across the bench and straight into the utensils drawer. Oh. And my friend freaked out completely and I laughed and said and basically said thank you to her for that. Captain um, Goldie's wife wasn't a fan of um, imbibing, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think she did, was at all. It was quite funny and I knew it was her when it happened. Um, I knew that she'd done it with the corkscrew and it made me laugh that she'd actually tipped up um, Jen's um, stubby of cider as well. She, so. she was quite a personality and it's so interesting that that personality and everything else that goes with a person seems to survive their physical passing. Absolutely. And, and I think Herbie did explain that too, that she was a very strong woman. And I think Goldie died fairly young and she went on to you know, live a very long life and, and was a, an amazing lady. And she was basically the um, instigator of, of Herbie Hempful's life um, of, of passion with herbs. Wow. She actually, oh, wow. That when, they, yeah, when they left Broome, they moved over east and what was, I think, a, an orchard that they purchased ended up being a um, beautiful um, herb farm with all sorts of incredible yeah, herbs and spices basically grown by her. Well, she sounds and like she was very much a woman ahead of her time and your story is fantastic, Maggie, because it challenges the idea that a haunting has to be scary. Your haunting wasn't scary. 
Absolutely not. And yes, definitely. And I find it quite interesting that she, you know, returned to the house itself after leaving there and living many years somewhere else. Her connection, you know, obviously was still um, in Broome Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, which is quite fascinating as well. Indeed. Well, Maggie, I'm going to get you back on the Ghost Files sometime very soon to share a wonderful Twilight Zone-ish encounter that I know that you had seeing angels dancing on the tip of an airplane wing. Yes, <laughs> but I'll leave. Is a great one. Yes, I'll leave the listeners with that teaser. But for now, I'll finish with the question that I put to all of my guests on the Ghost Files. So, looking back on your experience with Captain Goldie's wife, what do you think an encounter with the dead can teach us about living? Well, I think that um, I guess from my point of view, I get a great deal of comfort from the fact that there is life after death and there is whatever it is in whatever form. And, yeah, and not to be, I guess, so frightened of the possibility of spirits being around you um, and being open to it. That's my point. I, I wish I could see more of it, but, yeah, I think it's a blessing. Oh, well, that's, I really do. that's wonderful. And um, thank you, Maggie, for being on The Ghost Files today and for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much, Karina. Thank you for opening up The Ghost Files with us. I'm Karina Machado and we'll be back next week with more true life tales of spooky encounters. So please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others just like you to find the podcast. In the meantime, you can check out my other podcast about mysteries and marvels, Spirit Sisters, based on my best-selling book. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time for more Goosebumps. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.